guided meditation instruction for that. And then uh, have some time for questions, and then a break, and then uh, I will talk on a topic. So I've, one of the things I've been was working on recently was uh, a kind of preamble for groups for kind of Buddhist recovery groups, and this isn't exactly a Buddhist recovery group because we consider this more of a class, but. Um, if anybody's interested in uh, starting a group, here's all you need, the preamble. I don't think I'm going to read it. No. I'm sorry. All right. There's a teaser. I just want you to be clear that this isn't really about this group. It says, Dharma, this is for like, you know, welcome to the Dharma and Recovery Group. The purpose of this group is to support those who want to integrate Buddhist teachings and practices into their recovery from any addiction. We are open to people of all backgrounds and recovery paths, including but not limited to all 12-step programs. We encourage the use of mindfulness and meditation and are grounded in Buddhist principles of non-harming compassion and interdependence. While not affiliated with any 12-step group, we follow the 12-step traditions of confidentiality, and no crosstalk, we don't, you know, that's for more of a group that's about sharing. In parentheses, the teacher may comment on people's sharing. Well, everyone is encouraged and welcome to share. This group is teacher-led. This is a distinction between a, most Buddhist recovery meetings. In the Buddhist tradition, teachers are trained and authorized by their teachers based on their experience, their practice and experience. They're expected to guide and facilitate their community members' practice. So I'm trying to figure out exactly how to how to present these meetings. Walt is here from the Berkeley group. Where is he sitting? Oh, there you are. Hi. Right. We he we he and I were working on this together because he leads the Buddhist uh, the Dharma and Recovery Group in Berkeley on Tuesday nights at the Northbury Community Church at seven thirty that you should know about if you live in the East Bay or anywhere close enough to go. Uh, so uh, that gives us uh, plenty to start with. So let's, let's begin with some meditation. Now, if you're new to meditation, you want to sit in a way that you can be alert, that your spine can be relatively straight, you can um, really be settled, relaxed. And you can gently close your eyes. Or if you're more comfortable, you can just lower your gaze if you prefer not to close your eyes. Bringing the attention inside and starting by relaxing the body. You can move your attention through the body, easing any tension, relaxing your jaw, the small muscles around the eyes, 
the forehead. Relaxing the shoulders, the arms and hands. You might let the attention rest in the hands for a few moments, just feeling the sensations at this very alive part of the body. And softening the belly, letting the chest be open, giving space for the breath to move deeply into the body. Relaxing through the hips and pelvis, the legs and feet, letting the attention rest in the feet for a few moments. Then just Letting the attention and the mind open to the experience of the whole body, feeling the whole body as a single thing, a single object. And within that single object, there are many different sensations. Noticing now if there's any mood that's very clear, any emotional state or mood that seems to be predominant. Just acknowledging that, maybe feeling that, having a sense of where that resides in the body, how that manifests in the body. Finally, letting the Attention come to rest on the breath. 
can feel how the breath moves through the whole body. You can feel the breath at the nostrils as it enters and leaves the body. You can also feel it in the chest and belly, in the other parts of the body that move as the lungs fill and empty. As we begin to explore the experience of breathing, we can see how much it affects the body. You might start to notice places in the body that react to the breath that you never noticed before. And finding one point of sensation where you can stay with the breath at that one point, either the nostrils or the belly or somewhere else that is easy and natural for you to pay attention. you're following the breath at the nostrils, you can feel the touch sensation of the air entering and then leaving the body. And the first way of connecting with those sensations is to notice the difference between the sensations of breathing in and the sensations of breathing out quite distinctly different. If you're paying attention to the breath at the belly, you're feeling the expansion and contraction and the movement, the opening, closing that happens as you breathe. And again, the most distinct difference in sensations is that between the expansion and the contraction, the rising and falling. And this gives us a starting point in terms of feeling, investigating the experience of breathing.
as we become more sensitive and our attention becomes more acute, we might, might start to feel more variety of sensations than just in, out, or rising, falling. But this starting point is key as it gives us something to hold on to in the sense of just a clear experience. It can help to stabilize the attention if we use some words along with the breath. So just noting in, out, if you're following the breath at the nostrils. Or rising, falling, if you're following the breath at the belly. The words are soft in the back of the mind, just helping us to track the experience. natural for the mind to wander as we try to pay attention to the breath. Whenever you notice that your attention has moved away from the sensations of breathing into thoughts and images, when you notice that, acknowledge it. You might make a note of where the mind has gone, at least, in terms of themes. And then gently coming back to the breath, starting again. Of course, the mind is going to wander. This is our habit. We are trained to think. And just deciding to pay attention to the breath isn't enough for us to stop thinking. So we don't need to blame ourselves or criticize ourselves when the mind wanders. Just acknowledge it. Just see it. It may feel unpleasant 
when you realize you're thinking. That's actually a motivation to stay with the breath. Do your best to keep your practice simple. We're not trying to accomplish some big goal in our meditation. The important thing is showing up moment by moment and day by day in our practice. The development of our practice takes time. We can't speed that process. Our job is to just show up and do our best and let go of the results.
I'd like to just check if there are any questions about practice. Since uh, part of the purpose of this class is to give people a chance to explore their meditation practice. And, uh, so if there's anything that, anything you're struggling with or have questions about it, be happy to explore. Yeah, hi. I noticed that there's kind of like stages in meditation. You want to give them the microphone? I don't know if there's an end. There's a lot of middle. So what do you mean exactly by that? It actually would be good if you used the mic for oh, yes, everybody okay. to hear. Just kind of, is it on? Kind of hold it up. Okay. All yeah, right, there, there it is. Yeah. Um, th- there's my, uh, the quality of what's going on changes. Your experience of it. Yeah, my experience of it changes, right. yes. Um, thank you. Um, I feel one way at the beginning, and I'm settling down. I feel a settling in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and then at some point, there's kind of like a, like a light bulb goes on, not physically, but uh, the quality of my experience changes. And, uh, you know, and I'm going, I'm going back and checking in on the breath and all, I'm watching it, staying aware of it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then it goes to another phase. Uh, there's, it's not alarming or anything, it just changes. Yep. Is that real? That's very good. You've, uh, you're teaching the Dharma. I mean, the, you know, the, one of the prime things that the Buddha t- says to notice is how everything keeps changing. Um, for a variety of reasons, he says that, first of all, because it's true. <laughs> and uh, secondly, because we tend to uh, to kind of get locked into believing things are going to be a certain way, and um, and then when they change, that can be, people can get upset about that. You know? um, and then fundamentally, seeing impermanence uh, shows us the futility in clinging, because if everything is changing, you can't hold on to it. And since that's what we're really trying to get at with practice is to find ways to let go on the many different levels and in different aspects of experience, then, then paying attention to impermanence becomes kind of a doorway into, into those many different ways of experiencing and, and, um, and being present with our experience. So... Uh, so yeah, this is just seeing that is is valuable, and realizing that what you're seeing is is a universal truth. It's not just that that happens in meditation. So, uh, but st- you know, just uh, to address a little bit more what you're talking about in specific terms, in terms of the experience. Um, this is one of the reasons why 
sustaining practice for a period of time is so important because our experience does change and it somewhat deepens. Sometimes it, whatever the opposite of deepens, shallows. You know, sometimes you're getting deep and then it seems you come back out or something distracts you. But, um, but over time, generally speaking, there is a settling, particularly, you know, in one period of meditation. You can, you can see that. So that's, um, well, there's a variety of things I can say about that, but the, the thing that comes to mind is that, for me, that's helpful to remember because many times when I sit down, it feels like, oh, how am I supposed to meditate? I'm too whatever I am at that moment, you know, uh, agitated in some way. And, and I'll sit down and I'll be like, oh, well, I can't really meditate. And then you know, there's that resistance that many of us feel to being still because we're kind of always in motion mentally and physically in our lives. And then when we stop, it's like, oh, this feels wrong because it's like we've stopped this forward movement. But if we sit through that resistance, then, just as you described, some settling happens. And then we go, oh, right, that's why I'm meditating, right? So I can get into get some of these states. So then you're experiencing some of the peace that is promised through practice. And, of course, that peace is not the ultimate goal of the practice, but the peace allows us to be more clearly aware because we're not as distracted and the mind becomes clearer. It's like the, um, you know, mud settling. If you stir up some water that's got dirt in it after it settles and the water clears, it's very much what the meditation experience is like. It becomes more and more clear. And then we can see things like impermanence. We can see the connection between mind and body or how our thoughts trigger uh, tension and how letting go of thoughts releases that tension and all these kind of insights that this practice is about. Uh, so that, that um, yeah, so that's, a, that's a great uh, comment. So thank you. Is there anything else you wanted to say about that? Okay, good. And it looks like the guy beside you had wanted to say something. Oh, yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask, when I'm done meditating, oftentimes the transition into, like, ordinary consciousness can be kind of jarring. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's nice to have, like, the bell and stuff, but even that sometimes can feel short mm -hmm. um, The between, like, being in the state of sort of in the space state and then going back into ordinary life and when i do meditate at home if i set an alarm or mm. whatever it's like after the alarm comes first of all it seems to interrupt in a really irritating way and then after it it's like i don't know is there a recommended way to easily sort of transition gently or is there an amount of time i should wait because sometimes i'll feel spacey or overly mm -hmm. sensitive or confused after I meditate for mm. a period, and I'll continue into the day. Well, I personally wouldn't use an alarm unless it was like a gentle, very gentle sound. Because, uh, yeah, that's, that can be pretty disturbing when the mind is settled. Um, I 
I th first of all, yes, I think it's wise to take a little time to kind of breathe and and open the eyes and kind of uh, come back into more normal consciousness if you've been in some something of an altered state. Um, and you might just like stretch a little bit. Uh, you, you know, after, uh, you know, at the end of my meditation, like when I meditate in the morning, I usually do some intentional thinking. I do some little loving kindness practice and um, sort of prayers and things that are kind of a part of my program and part of my practice. And, um, and I think for me that brings me back more into a normal state because then I'm thinking no, I'm intentionally thinking. But I'm a little concerned that you might be, of what states you might be getting into, because that, that you're feeling that way. Um, can you tell me more about your practice? Um, well, I've just recently been meditating with any regularity, okay. really. Um, and and what, what do you pay attention to when you're meditating? I tend to try to follow the rhythm of the breath and focus on the physical sensations okay. or have sort of like a mantra or a rhythm in my head that okay. sort of comes in and out. And are you able to be with those things fairly clearly at least some of the time? Yeah, they come and go, both the physical presence and the concentration on whatever the breath or the mantra it sort of fades in and out. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's and what, just, what happens when it's... When it's faded out, does that mean you've gone into thinking, or or is there some other something else that comes up? Yeah, I mean, it goes into basically a cycling of sort of regular thoughts, and yeah. then once I sort of get to a level of like where it feels like I've been in a fairly safe spot for a while, mm -hmm. I'll look over at the clock, or I'll have set a certain time because yeah. I have something to do. And then when the period's over, I just feel kind of confused. Huh. I don't know how to... Okay. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like your practice, that, that's, it doesn't sound like you're doing anything that I would characterize as wrong, that I, I wouldn't want to, you know, not, that I normally would. But it, it, sometimes people tend to get, go towards um, sort of hypnotic states in meditation, and the way you were describing what was the way you were coming out of it made me wonder if you were doing something like that, and it, it doesn't sound like you're doing that. So, um, so I would just, yeah, take it easy and, and see that, you know, meditation does open us up, and it, it does, it can take us into somewhat altered states, and so there, it, it is wise to take a little transition time. Maybe do something like uh, when you're done meditating, do sort of what I did at the beginning of the period, like just go through your body and feel your body again, like the different parts of the body, just over like for a minute. Like just kind of like, okay, there's my hands, there's my feet, there's my belly, and just like ground yourself in your body so that, because that'll tend to bring you, and with your eyes open, do it, so that you, that should bring you out of any kind of altered state, maybe take a couple of deeper breaths, just, okay, I'm here, you know. And, yeah. Other than that, I, I don't have much more advice. Appreciate it. Yeah. There was one other hand up. Oh, Wait. I was just going to 
I was just, I was just gonna comment on um, uh, what the first gentleman was saying. Actually, actually, in kind of the second one. But um, for me, I I notice um, um, you know, like you were talking about that resistance, kind of in the beginning of of slowing down, and yeah. and uh, what um, when I do start to get absorbed, you know, in the breath, it's it's. Um, uh, it's this contrast, like it's almost like I can feel my nervous system, like it kind of when it when it drops into here and now, it's like such a such a contrast, yeah. and uh, and there is this uh, this um, this allure, you know, this like this pleasure, you know, in there, and uh, um, but it's uh, it's the 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 I don't know the the contrast, uh, the drastic like contrast, and and um, that. Uh, I don't know. Is, is that like normal to to um, to have such a contrast, or is it like a um, I don't know? Is it like he was saying? It's like in like stages. Like I, yeah. like I feel it. Like I mean, it's almost like like I land. Like boom. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just a, a, such a contrast. Well, first of all, the, I find the word normal to be. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. In terms of meditation, I think if it's happening to you, then it's normal. You know, I just don't think there's really, but maybe that's, that might be a little extreme, but yeah, certainly. every time, yeah, like every time. Yeah, um, and yeah, I mean, the way I see experience, and I've, you know, heard teachers talk about this as well, so I don't feel that I'm just making this up, that there is this stillness within us that's kind of ever-present. And in, in some ways, what's happening as we settle in our meditation is we're just becoming more subtly aware so that we can be aware of that. So it can be very sudden that we just kind of go, oh, boom. Because it's, in, you know, in some sense, it's like, oh, it's gradual, a gradual process. But then there's also the idea that there's this just sudden, boom, you just drop in. And that can, that can absolutely happen. Um, so yeah. yeah. It is, it is very, very, uh, very pleasurable. Yeah, it's, like, it's wonderful uh, to uh, to be able to get that, uh, and and that's a real gift of practice. Uh, you know? And then, and, and a part of this, I mean, you know, when you if you read Rick Hansen's work about sort of the neuropsychology of meditation, or that when we practice repeatedly and develop we develop these neural pathways that, uh, so that it becomes habituated for the mind to go to these places. Like when you're an addict, your mind just goes to craving very easily, right? You just, it's just a whiff or a, an image or a thought, and it's just like, ah, wanting, right? With meditation, it's the mind can start to know that quiet place, and it just kind of takes like a breath, and you can, uh, and you can just settle right there because your mind is very trained, and that's a very alive and awake part of your actual brain, the physical brain and the the, the neural pathways in the brain. So uh, that's that's why we practice, right, to develop those things. I mean, the you know the phrase that the Buddha uses. Whatever we repeatedly think and ponder upon, that will become the habit of mind. Whatever we do with our mind over and over, that's what our mind will 
tend to do. That'll become the default of it. And that's the part of addiction and many other things, but certainly of addiction that's somewhat under our control. If we can bring mindfulness and realize, oh, I'm going into that place, we can make a choice to intentionally not go there, even though the mind habitually goes there. It's, it might be trained to go there, but if we have mindfulness, we can interrupt it. And then the mindfulness, we can make that choice to intentionally go somewhere else, think and ponder upon, or apply our attention to something else repeatedly. Like, I'm going to go to a meeting, you know, when I have the craving. Uh, no, I'm going to call a friend. No, I'm going to do this. And, and we just develop. And so eventually, the mind doesn't go there anymore because that, that neural pathway isn't being used anymore. I mean, all, all of us, our addiction neural pathways are still there, but they're kind of atrophying, hopefully. You know, they don't have much life in them. And, the, you know, when we say, oh, well, if you go back to drinking and using, you know, you, then you relapse and people fall right into those habits because I think those pathways are there and if you start to feed them again they're just going to go oh I was just waiting here for you to come back and visit thanks you know now we can get chugging again in that direction uh, so it, it does require this maintenance because I mean if you've spent decades training your mind to go into those habits you know it takes probably decades to untrain them. Although, uh, you know, it's, it's remarkable how quickly people can get out of those habits, too. Thank you. Yes, up, up front here. <laughs> um, could you explain the difference between a meditative state and a state of hypnosis? I think you talked about a differentiation. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know much about hypnosis, which means I can talk for a long time about it. You know, that's, I'm especially good at that. Um, but Ajahn Chah gets asked this question. You know who Ajahn Chah is? Ajahn Chah was this great Thai forest master, and he was Jack Kornfield's teacher. And that's who, when Jack Kornfield was a monk, that was his uh, preceptor, the person who uh, brought him into the the mon uh, monastic life. In any case, um, and he says hypnosis is just the opposite of meditation, that hypnosis is a kind of falling asleep. It's a kind of f uh, giving up your independent awareness in some sense. And, and uh, So you can see I know a lot about hypnosis. So what, but in any case, what a med meditation as we practice it here is about waking up and being clear about what's happening in each moment. Whereas hypnosis seems to be this kind of, you know, shutting down and, go, and being um, uh, sort of just channeled into behavior. Does anybody know anything about hypnosis? You can exp tell me. What, uh, so obviously I don't have an answer. I'm gonna just, just going to pull back now and admit. And I, I thought I could answer it. Kind In fact, of a haze. Well, I, kind of a haze, yeah, that was how I would think of it. Yeah. I don't know anything about hypnosis, but I have a question that kind of follows on that, which is um, lately in my practice, I've been looking at where do thoughts come from? Mm -hmm. Or I've been not looking at where do thoughts come from, but I've just been <laughs> watching for 
thoughts to arise. Uh -huh. Very and good. so there's that, and we, you know, and that's been interesting. But along these lines about hypnosis, what I what one thing is making me really aware of is there's something that I'm observing, and, and there's something that's observing that, mm -hmm. which is one of those things that's so obvious that I don't notice it until I'm meditating. Right. Could hypnosis be sort of like somehow removing that observer from the equation? Maybe. None of us knows about hypnosis, so we're just making up stories about it, I guess. <laughs> this gentleman wants to say something. Let's I'll, I'll just say uh, I've done some hypnosis training. Yeah. And it, it, this is a state of very deep, deep relaxation. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's not so much a state of um, there's no... Um, you know, like in the old movies, like where the cabinet of Dr. Caligari right, you know, like, oh. overpower somebody. It's, it's really right. just sort of more like a state of focus, yeah. relaxation. So the general notion is that um, it, it's, it's easier when there's this sort of general slowing of the brain waves yeah. to speak directly to, um, you know, to get in there and sort of with the participation and an awareness of the subject mm -hmm. in a conscious way start kind of redirecting some of these different yeah. pathways. Yeah, so and actually one of my... Yeah, one of my Dharma teachers would actually did hypnotherapy as well as a as a healing modality. So, yeah, I, what I I guess I should come back to why I was referring to that in a way that that what I was trying to talk about was somewhat what this gentleman said in the back of that kind of hazy state, this hypnagogic state they can call it, where you're just kind of half asleep, and it can seem very pleasant. And it can seem like you're awake, but your subconscious is actually kind of taking over where you're just having dreamlike images coming through. And, and you're, so you're not really awake. And, and that, especially for addicts, that can kind of be appealing. It's kind of like when you're, you know, it's kind of what? what? Yeah, like being stoned, or, uh, but more like going uh, on an opiate, you know, that kind of a, a opium dream, dreams kind of state. Um, and and um, that, can be, that can happen in meditation, and it can be very seductive. And so that's, that's what I would, you know, point people away from, because it's kind of pleasant but unproductive. <laughs> it's not, there's no mindfulness in that, in that state. That's a useful distinction, thanks. Good. Okay, well, let's take a little break. And, uh, you know, please um, greet your neighbors and uh, we'll make some friends. <laughs>
Um, so let me start. Uh